0: Acts chapter 12, we're going to pray, and then we're going to see what this means for you and for me, okay? i will take a swick of water, and then we'll go. All right. This is God's Word. Acts chapter 12, starting verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands at some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with his sword. And when he saw that that pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending, after the Passover, to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made for him, to the church, or to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, that very night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold! An angel of the Lord stood next to him and light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. The chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And when he said and said to him, Wrap your cloak around you, follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real. He thought he'd seen a vision. When he passed the first gate and the second, or first and the second guard, they came to an iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And he knocked at the door of the gateway. A servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she didn't open the gate, but she ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept on insisting it was so. And they kept on saying, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now, when the day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers for what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find them, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went from Judea to Caesarea at the bedtime there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon and they came to him with one accord having persuaded Blastus, well, the king's chamberlain they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On the appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes took a seat upon the throne and delivered in forties to them. The people were shouting the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory And he's eaten by worms and he's his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name, was Mark. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you give us your word. You give it to us in a whole range of formats. You give it to us in letters, in poems, in songs, and in stories. Father, if we look at the story tonight, which is true, would you convince us that you are God? And would you help us change our hearts, help us live for you? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's some music playing over there. Cut it out. You're on the wrong side of history. You ever hear that? Or maybe you ever seen that on the internet? You're on the wrong side of history. It's like the, the go-to line for sticking it to people who disagree with you on, well, whatever subject you're talking about. It comes up a lot in arguments to do with it. abortion, immigration, civil rights, all those fun topics. So here are some people I think are on the wrong side of history. People who talk in the cinema. Agreed? Wrong side of history? Like, why are they there? I mean, you paid money to watch a movie and you're having a chat with someone. You can do that for free. You can talk to people for free. Why do you spend 70 quid to talk to someone in a cinema? Wrong side of history. People in restaurants who, when they're asked to see the dessert menu, they say, I'm good, thanks. What? I mean, you're good? You're too good for dessert, are you, I Like, or worse people who say, yes, I'll see the menu and decide, well, I'm not feeling dessert today. But you're not stealing dessert. if you're, you Why are you out for dinner if not for dessert? You maniac wrong side of history. Or maybe the most controversial one, people who put pineapple on pizza are not on the wrong side of history, in my opinion. But people who say you can't put pineapple on pizza, those people, they're on the wrong side of history. Don't police my pizza. Don't tell me what to do. And besides, pineapple makes everything better. Put pineapple on pizza, it's better. Pineapple in a burger, better. Pineapple out of barbecue, better. Put pineapple in a salad and it turns from rabbit's food to something that's edible. Better. When pineapple shows up at your party, you're no longer having a party, you're having a fiesta. Why would you want to be on the wrong side of history? What side of history are you on tonight? That's my question for you. Acts chapter 12, which is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, I think it shows us who is on the right side of history and how to be on the right side of history. It's a chapter of almost like three random seemingly loosely connected parts, And tonight I want us to show how this all fits together and how Acts 12 shows us how to live and how it gives us confidence to live that way, a life that's on the right side of history. Hopefully, if you've been coming to see the last few weeks, last few months, uh, as you've been making your way through Acts, you'll have seen that Acts uh, records the unfolding, purposeful plan of God, that God rules over all, And his plan is the the unstoppable advance of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of God, that Jesus died for your sins and rose and defeated death and that salvation is freely available for all who believe in him and that this news goes forward and advances even in the face of death and suffering and persecution. And Acts 12 continues the story. And in it we see the true part, and true beauty and true life. The right side of history. It's not finding worldly position, possessions, or positions. It's finding God. It's finding the God of the church, and it is the Lord, not earthly powers or people, that possesses the ability to bring forth freedom and judgment alike. The right side of history is determined by God. So we're going to divide the chapter up into three sort of parts that it comes, three episodes, as it were. And episode one is the first five verses, really short. Episode one, Acts twelve verses one to five. And I've called it this, Herod's violence against the church of God. Acts 12, 1 is on the screen there. It says, about that time, that time being when Saul and Barnabas headed out on a mystery journey. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to this church. Now, when you read the Bible and you read the word Herod, it's like a clue. It means that this person is bad. It's like the body at a pantomime. Boo, Herod, you tramp, right? Herod, uh, what's he up to? Well, he's committing acts of violence against the church. He's murdering Christians is what he's doing. Luke writes that Herod led violent hands on the church. And this is exactly what Jesus told his disciples would happen in Luke 21, verse 12. He says, they'll lay hands on you and persecute you, delivering up to synagogues and prisons, and you'll be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake." That's what's happening. And this is what Herod is doing. He's killed one key player, we see that. And verse three tells us, when he sees that this move these powerful people, he thinks, Right. Some more, And he went ahead and arrested Peter. And the idea when he arrested Peter is that he's going to kill him. Herod's a kid. He's someone who operates in that horrible world of politics. And he wants to make moves that make him seem as, as powerful as possible. He wants to be as popular as possible. That's what he's all about. Herod thinks that he's writing his rule in history. And he thinks to do that, that, he has to write these Christians. These, by the way, non-violent Christians who do nothing but proclaim a message of love and life peace he thinks he needs to write these Christians out of history get out the rubber and erase them Now, don't miss this Herod's projection of power is contrasted in verse 5 to what the church does they pray to God Herod's making moves trying to show himself to be the, the big dog the new, number one the ultimate ruler and the church pray to God he looks to himself. Church looks to God. Who's going to come out on the right side of history? This brings us to episode 2. Acts 12, verses 6 to 19. Prison break. Peter's prison break. Now I want us to see as we look at this episode that what happens here is actually funny, right? It's funny, it's full of surprises, and twists and turns. And even though we've read it, even though you might be familiar with this story, you might be familiar with the Bible, don't let your familiarity actually blind you to what's happening here. This is surprising. It's funny. Acts 12 verse 6 zooms in on Peter's condition in prison. He's sleeping while chained to two guards, which I can't imagine would be comfy. I like to roll in my sleep. Can you imagine you roll to one side with a chain in your hand, There's big burly soldier all the gear looking at you and you roll the other side and there's another one is twin looking at you as well. Now there would have been four squads assigned to Peter. So two he's chained to two and two people are looking on. So sixteen people whose one job it is is to make sure that Peter who's arrested stays arrested. Now Peter, he's not like a murderer or a terrorist. He's a fisherman who turned into a preacher. I think it's a bit much, don't you? And if you were to look at him you'd say, Dead man walking. He ain't getting out of there. But unless we see that earthly cheats, earthly power, it's no match how hacks portrays God as personally acting and intervening in human affairs. Verse 7, An angel of the Lord appears, appear, accompanied by light, that fills this dark and dingy cell. And Peter's still sleeping. I don't know about you. It reminds me of like school mornings. Um, when my parents had to try and wake me up, they come in and turn on the lights, and I just keep snoozing. And what my dad used to do is he used to uh, just rip the duvet off of me. Absolutely, like it should be a war crime. It's the worst thing that could ever happen. Just oh, uh, but Peter's sleeping even with all this light going on. He's sleeping. He's not waking up. He's enjoying his snooze, and he's enjoying his snooze even though he thinks that he's going to be murdered the next day. Such as his trust and satisfaction in God. But the angel appears, all this light shining. Peter still snoring. I think it must have been pretty anticlimactic for the angel. Right, go wake Peter up. Ah, and he's still sleeping. So we read here. I remember this word. The angel has to strike Peter. Has to hit him. That's what that word means. Hit hard. He strikes Peter. Get up. And Peter groggily gets up. And then the angel again has to tell him what to do. He says dress yourself and put on your sandals. Get dressed. Peter's woken up, he's suddenly wanted to do, get your clothes on, you clamp it. And when Peter manages that, the angel says, right, come on, follow me. And Peter's sleep is so deep that he thinks what's happening to him, well, it's a dream. He doesn't even realise he's awake, he thinks he's still dreaming. Now, even still, he obeys Angel's instructions. He's led out of prison, and this big gate that's bolted shut flings open, and Peter drowsily walks to freedom. It's only when he's on the street that he realises, flip me, I'm awake. The comical nature of these events served to show us God's power contrasted to the feebleness of humanity. All of Herod's chains, all of Herod's guards, could to keep one fisherman in prison. <laughs> Did Peter do anything to escape death? No, he barely woke up. He couldn't get his socks on without getting a scolding from an angel. God has broken chains, unlocked prison doors brought him to safety. And so Peter says, verse 11, I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. God has rescued Peter. God has done this. The God who rules over all, who dictates history, who decides what is good and right and true, the Lord has rescued him. Herod's pretense of pardon, and imprisoning Peter was just revealed to be a fraudulent force compared to the powerful working of God. Herod is outwitted. Why Peter, a mere passenger, benefits from God's power. I think the story even gets even better. Verse 12, Peter realizes where he is. He realizes what God has done. So he goes to where he knows there will be Christians. He goes to where he knows the church is praying. And he knocks on the door. And we're told that this young slave girl called Rhoda, now if you're a slave girl, that is the lowest of the low at the time. Women were seen as less important as men, which is obviously wrong. And slaves were seen as less important than three people which is obviously wrong uh, and, and children were seen as less important than adults which is obviously wrong and this is a slave girl a young one so she's the lowest of the low she goes down to the door and we're told she recognises Peter's voice and does she let him in? does she want? no she rushes to tell the rest of the believer Peter's here! now these people are faithfully praying for Peter's release they say to her no, I don't think so they usually like, say, you're out of your mind. You're insane. They reckon she's hallucinating and seeing things. And they have a full-blown argument whether Peter's at the door. And we read that Peter's at the door. And he's still knocking. Their argument is Peter at the door. And he's knocking. He's ironic. He's finding it harder to get into the place where all the Christians are than he found it to get out of the prison where he's going to get killed. He's making enough noise to try and get their attention without waking up the neighbours. And eventually they come to the door and he's like, most of us be quiet with his hand. And he tells them all about what God has done, not what he has done, but what God has done. And then he exits the scene. Verses eighteen and nineteen then were to give them a description of Herod's powerlessness to actually just to comprehend what had happened. And this shouldn't be missed either, right? A slave girl, as understanding, by this mega powerful king, is perplexed. And even though Rhoda did a silly and left Peter at the door, I think she comes out the best here. Peter sees an angel thinks he's having a vision. The church are faithfully praying, but they think that Rhoda has seen a vision. And Rhoda is the only one who actually see facts, not fiction. Slave girl is on the right side of history. The king, who thinks he's powerful, well, let's get to him now. He orders execution of these guards who he not really do anything in the face of an angel. That was commonly his practice. We see that Peter's rescue shows Herod to be pretty powerless. God is powerful. Herod is not. And then the narrative then turns in episode 3 to this king whose sort of facade of supremacy is faded. Episode 3, Acts 12, verses 20 to 24. The God of the church, which is violence against Herod. Herod committed violence against the church. Let's see what happens to him now. Verse 20, you see that Herod's angry. I think Herod was probably always angry to be fairy comes across as a bit of a grumpy sword. And the situation's a bit complicated in these next few verses. But I think what's clear is this. Herod has cut off food supplies from two places, Tyre and Sight. They're reliant on Herod's country for food. And he's blocked those places off for receiving food. So what he's doing is essentially starving people. And eventually they come to him trying to work out this situation that Herod has caused and a resolution to the problem has arrived at. And the crowd laud Herod for his so-called generosity. Oh, Herod, you're so great. Even though he was the cause of the problem, not the solution. And look what Herod does. He puts on robes. He's trying to show how powerful he is. Only a king would rare robes. And he sits on a throne. He's putting himself up don't miss Herod is trying to make himself out to be like a god and the crowds see that and presumably because they don't want to go hungry again they go along with it and they say the voice of a god and not a man and Herod is lapping it up but by being happy to be called a god he mocks the one true god and the powerful true god does not stand for that Like Peter was in prison, we see that Herod is struck by the angel of the Lord. Whereas Peter was struck to go free and live, Herod is struck to death. He's eaten by worms, we're told. That refers to this horrible disease that would have been immensely painful and results in Herod's death. See, by putting these stories together, Luke, who wrote Luke and Acts, he identifies the reason for Herod's death as being tied toward his attitude towards God and God's people. In trying to put himself in a divine position, Herod's exposed for a complete fraud. In trying to bring death, Herod is destroyed. In endeavoring to exalt himself, he's struck down. In trying to write his own thesis in history, he goes down in history as a helpless myth who died a grizzly death. And what about the church? Well, verse 24, the word of God increased and multiplied. Herod dies, and the church grows and he grows and goes and goes. Herod dies and the church thrives. What difference does this make to us? Sitting here tonight, what difference does it make to you and me? I said at the start, nobody wants to be on the wrong side of history, right? The story helps us to live and gives us confidence to do that, how so? Well, look at Herod. Look at Herod for an example of how the world operates and how the world tells us to operate. Herod is a people, pleasing, popularity, seeking power on great king. Herod's fought the lie that he thinks it's all on him to make his own meaning. He thinks it's on him to go down in history as a big deal and fundamentally he puts all of his trust in himself. What about you? Who are you trusting? Who, who are you living for tonight? You find your meaning in whether people think you're powerful or funny or popular? Are you like Herod? Well, I hope no one here is decapitating in Christians and wrongfully imprisoning people. But are you like Herod? At the core, are you like Herod? Look into yourself for meaning, for life, for power so, you see in this, this chapter that there are deathly consequences to that. Herod literally dies, but even the life before that, he wasn't really living, was he? Is it really living to be constantly preoccupied by what the person next to you thinks about you? Is it, is it really living to have all that pressure upon yourself to form your own identity? Is it really living to have your meaning of life put on you? I think that's a pressure that we were never meant to put on ourselves. Herod in, in in trusting himself imprisons other. He puts robes on himself in an attempt at exaltation and die. My son said, "Look, wrote look and Acts. And if you look at Luke Acts, ah, the gospel of Luke, you see someone else who is dressed in food Jesus. Jesus was dressed in robes as he was sentenced to death as people weren't attempting to beg him up but humiliate him. And Jesus too was put up high. Herod on a throne but Jesus on a cross. But Jesus' noticed when he did that was not to make himself look good. Imprison others. Though Jesus died to set people like us free. Jesus embraced death so that we could have the light. If we put our trust and faith in him, Jesus unites us to himself. Jesus unites us to the God we read about in Acts 12, who rules over all, who is completely powerful and trustworthy. The God who gives us our identity. The God who can give you meaning and satisfaction and light. Are you trusting yourself? Are you looking to yourself? You can't give you what you need. Look to the Lord who breaks chains, who sets prisoners free, who gives dignity to slaves, who gives life to the full, even in the face of death. And if you're trusting in Jesus here tonight, I really hope and pray that you're trusting in Jesus because you need to be trusted. in Jesus. Acts 12 tells us how to live in order to continue to be on the right side of history. And it tells us to live for the Lord. Look at Peter. He's free. He's got a great story to tell. What's he do? He just points to the Lord. I'm exited to see. Look at the church faced with persecution and suffering and death. They look to the Lord. What's the Lord do? He blesses or helps and provides and shows that He is worthy to be trusted. We're not to look to ourselves especially if we belong to Jesus. We're not to look to ourselves, to make ourselves look big, or put others down, to bring ourselves up. We belong to the Lord, who's to be trusted with our lives, who we can go to with our prayers, who, as we see here, who helps and hears, even in seemingly hopeless situations. He's a God who directs all of history. So get on his side. Did you ever feel hopeless, Never ever feels small or unimportant. If you're like me, I'm sure he's dead. But read Acts 12. Situations that are hopeless for humans aren't so forgot. He answers prayer. In Acts 12, he, he answers prayer that even the people who were praying didn't expect to be answered. And people who seem insignificant, like our friend Rhoda, the young slave girl, But we're giving her name 2,000 years later as an example of faith to follow in contrast to the rulers of her day. Get this in your skulls. God loves to use what seems small and insignificant to do great and incredible things. Acts 12 shows us that egos, egos are no good to God, but slaves and prisoners, now he can work with that. And your life feels like a mess. And everything seems out of control. If you belong to Jesus, we see that despite dire circumstances, your future is secure. You can rest in the one who writes history and who determines the future and looks after you in your present. Acts 12 shows us a God who rules in all. He is the right side of history. Let's look to him. Let's trust in him. And let's live for him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the one who directs all things for your glory and if we trust in you for our good. Father, for the people in this room who do not yet know Jesus, who are burdened by the unbearable ways to find meaning in and of themselves, Father, break them free the front of the Jesus. Father, for those who know and love you and often forget how good you are, would you remind us afresh that our identity is in youth? Release us from the burden to Make ourselves look good. We're united to the one who's perfect. Help us to live for him. In his name we pray. Amen. <laughs>